Star Wars 7x7, episode 725. Today we are talking about the characters of Rogue One as announced in the big cover story from Entertainment Weekly that hit newsstands last week. And there's one character who is a familiar face if you were watching The Clone Wars. Punch it, Chewie. This is Bobby Roberts, formerly of Full of Sith. And you are listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod, and the character reveals that we got with this Rogue One cover story with Entertainment Weekly are mostly name and personality reveals, with the exception of Forrest Whitaker's character, Saw Gerrera, and we will actually dedicate a separate episode to him. So we'll put him on hold for the moment. Anyway, that being said about the other characters, the reveal that we had, the leak, the rumor, I guess a spoiler, probably leak is probably the most applicable term, of that Rogue One visual story guide and Disney coming out and saying some of that information was inaccurate and incomplete and unauthorized anyway, well... Turns out that the character names are pretty accurate from that whole thing, and we're going to go through them and the characteristics that they talked about with the squad in this episode. So the first character we're going to talk about is Felicity Jones' character, Jin Erso. One new bit of information we get from the series of photos and profiles of the characters on Entertainment Weekly's website is that Kathleen Kennedy says Jin Erso is a kind of Joan of Arc in the story. And that's a really compelling metaphor to go with, actually. So Joan of Arc uh, rallied France to her cause, was you know very young and yet was able to get a whole army together to fight and fight against extraordinary odds and win incredible battles and became tremendously feared in combat by the opposite side. And of course, she was martyred for her cause, so... It's really interesting to see if the reference to Joan of Arc is actually a very literal dead-on one or if Kathleen Kennedy is only talking about how even though she was very young, she was able to rally people around her cause. And one of the other articles that makes up this entire package of cover story, feature first look sort of situation, mentions that the rebellion is made up of sort of diverse units and cells and all that sort of thing, and that the fight against the Death Star brings some unity to the whole situation. It brings all these disparate elements of rebellion that are happening together, which would make the case for her being that rallying point for it. Then you have Diego Luna's character, Captain Cassian Andor. So no, not Biggs Darklighter. He is not reprising that role. He's been described as committed, steady, and practical, and in another piece it's been suggested that he is sort of the Murtaugh to Felicity Jones's rigs, if you will, if you are familiar with the Lethal Weapon franchise. In other words, he's the calm, steady one, and she's the nut job. Then you have another pair of partners in Chirut Imwi, played by Donnie Yen, and Baze Malbus, played by Zhang Wen. Now, it says that Baze prefers a blaster to hokey religions and ancient weapons, which is what Chirut would prefer, and yet Baze is committed to protecting Chirut at all costs. Now, Chirut is described as a warrior monk who is not a Jedi, but definitely believes in the ways of the Force, so that, of course, makes me wonder if he's a member of the Church of the Force that Lorsan Tekka, of course, is a part of, and all the folks in Tawanal that got massacred by the First Order, those bad, bad, bad guys. However, 
that Church of the Force is not the only religion that exists in the galaxy. Of course, there were many underground religions that were in operation during Palpatine's reign. They just had to be underground because any suggestion of them existing (laughs) was a very bad thing. Now, since this is a Battlefield heist movie, and since Charette and Baze are not your garden-variety rebel soldiers, it does make me wonder if these are folks that are being found and sort of hired, if you will, a la Ocean's Eleven, to get a team together that can pull off this theft of the Death Star plans. In that sense, I guess you could say Mon Mothma is the Elliot Gould of Ocean's Eleven slash Rogue One, and that would make Cassian Andor the George Clooney character, probably? Yeah, I think that's the case. Then you get Bodhi Rook, who is the pilot character played by Riz Ahmed, hot-headed but definitely very skilled. And in one of the photos, you see him also in an Imperial jumpsuit, so he probably goes undercover as part of this whole operation, as does Felicity Jones's character, Jin Erso. Then you have K2SO, or K2 for short. That's the motion capture droid character played by Alan Tudyk. And it's a former Imperial security droid. Now, it's been said that we've seen this droid in the past, and we've had suggestions that it looks something like Eve 99, which is the droid that runs the uh, the downstairs basement where all the droids are tortured and assigned out in Jabba's palace. And I get the resemblance, like the eyes maybe a little bit, but the head is definitely rounder on on K2SO, and there's more flat, streamlined. It's more Art Deco-y with Eve 99 than it is with K2SO. His chest plate looks vaguely Dengar-like. I mean, sort of like him, but not exactly. Like, I've compared photos of the two. There are some similarities and some differences thereof. Almost reminds me of a Separatist battle droid in structure, in a way, especially in that chest plate, then with the narrow torso, but... That's not quite it either. I've been wondering if this is the same kind of droid that Mr. Bones is in Star Wars Aftermath, and it wouldn't be the first time that a character from Aftermath crossed over. I don't think this is actually Mr. Bones himself. I think this may be just a similar droid. But again, you know, we're, I'm guessing, and I guess we will eventually find out for sure. Then we have Galen Erso, the father of Jin Erso, played by Mads Mikkelsen. Kiri Hart from the story group says, The circumstances of how the family got to the state that it's in is something that we probably don't want to share right now. So we have no idea why Jin Erso's character has been on her own since she was 15 years old and all that fun stuff. And in fact, the Entertainment Weekly story doesn't even have a picture of him. They're using a file photo. That, of course, makes me wonder if showing a picture of him is actually going to tell us something about the story of Rogue One 2. What they do tell us, and I think this is already common knowledge, it's just we knew that he was supposed to be somebody who had knowledge that was being sought by both sides, but Entertainment Weekly is now saying that he is like the galactic version of nuclear pioneer J. Robert Oppenheimer with doomsday knowledge that is sought by both the Empire and the Rebellion which suggests that maybe he's the guy that knows how to make the Death Star work and create this ultimate destruction. And of course, this leads to the question of where was he during the time period of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith when they were designing the plans for the Death Star? I mean, I think that he has to be involved somehow. And of course, since this isn't being told in a standard Star Wars format, maybe we will get some flashbacks to the Clone Wars. Wouldn't that be interesting? Then we have the main antagonist of the story and director Orson Krennic is played by Ben Mendelsohn. Now, we know, as we talked about yesterday, that he is very interested in moving up the ranks inside the Empire's power structure and becoming a favorite of Palpatine, becoming part of his inner circle. 
And we also know as, you know, an extension of that, but we didn't really talk about it yesterday, that if there is all this political machination going on, that he is not the only one vying for the emperor's attention. And we find out that there is actually a lot of backstabbing and palace intrigue happening and that not everybody has a lot of loyalty to each other. And there is all this other stuff going on in the background. And Orson Krennic is trying to make sure the whole Death Star plan situation doesn't happen or his the plot is foiled or what have you and do that while still trying to make sure that his reputation is squeaky clean and rise in the ladder of influence. And the article reveals that that squad of death troopers, those black-suited stormtroopers, those guys report to Director Krennic directly. So, yeah, he's got some serious muscle at his command. And there's one very intriguing picture they share of the death troopers. They are on some sort of tundra, as it's described in Entertainment Weekly, and one of them is holding a toy Stormtrooper doll. It looks very similar to the kind of doll that Rey constructed for herself of an X-Wing pilot, and according to the folks at Lucasfilm, there is some significance to this Stormtrooper doll, but they are not willing to say what that is yet. But between our beachfront property and Yavin 4 and that sort of Tatooine looking like place that we saw, this tundra looking area that the Death Troopers are in seems to represent a fourth planet now that we are seeing for the first time with Rogue One. So that also bodes well, I think. I like the possibility that we could be jumping from system to system to system and seeing a lot more planets than we might normally see in a regular Star Wars movie. And I've left one character out of this discussion so far, which is Saw Gerrera, and there's, of course, a good reason why, because he is one of the first, not the first, but one of the first characters to jump from an animated show into a live-action movie in the Star Wars universe. And we're actually going to do a separate episode about him tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. Hey, Rebel Rouser. You're listening to this podcast. Maybe you'd like to listen to a Star Wars story, too. Luckily, we've got just the thing for you. We've partnered with Audible to give you a free download and a free 30-day trial of their awesome service. All you got to do is go to audibletrial.com SW7X7 to sign up and get your free download. They've got dozens of Star Wars titles, anything you want to do to explore that galaxy far, far away. One more time for you, audibletrial.com SW7X7. All right, are you ready for a trivia question? Because I've got it here for you. Last time we asked you what the name of the song is that Han, Rey, and Finn hear when they enter into Maz Kanata's castle, and that's Jabba Flow. And today's question is, who are the two folks who created that song? Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you go into hiding in the desert, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And we'll be able to do even more with the show for you with your support at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not a crazy old hermit, it's Destiny Unleashed. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2016 Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.